Hello, welcome to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Well, hello again. Welcome to another episode of the Better Outcome Show. I'm your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions. I'm going to go ahead and apologize. Across the street from our office, they tore down a giant building, and apparently the grocery store is going up, and they have decided that today is the day that they're going to run <laughs> all their giant machinery, uh, bulldozers and whatnot. So if you hear some background no- noise, my apologies. Alrighty, what do we have on the docket for this week? This week, I'm speaking with Dave Kittle. He is a physical therapist, CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. They're purchasing and trying to expand and grow an out-of-network physical therapy practice. Um, And we talk a lot about the idea of expanding and scaling a practice that is quote-unquote non-traditional so to speak. So uh, if you can think back a few episodes ago, we had um, Mike Pikatowski on and we talked, uh, Mike and I talked a lot about uh, purchasing exit strategies, the types of buyers that would be interested in an independent, in, in his field, physical therapy. So an independent physical therapy practice or series of clinics and kind of what they look for. And one of the big things was, was payer mix. So what types of insurances are, um, are those locations in network with? What are their rates? Kind of the percentage and breakdown of, of Medicare versus private insurance and all the different private insurances and what they pay and all that. And in one of the episodes that Mike was on, I can't remember if it was this last one or the one from last year, um, I mentioned, well, what, what happens if this is a, an out-of-network clinic? Let's say this, this clinic is doing all of its billing out-of-network, or maybe it's even cash-based or private-based. Um, and he said, well, the reality is a lot of those strategic players aren't really interested in out-of-network practices because they're looking at applying their business model um, to the to the acquisitions, right? They're going to try. They're just folding them into their their plan or their their portfolio of businesses. And if you have an uh, the parent company that is in network with Medicare and Blue Cross Blue Shield and Aetna and all these big ones, you can't easily fold in an out of network practice, right? Because by nature of being out of network, you've intentionally not contracted with all those insurance companies and then the parent EIN has the insurance contracts and all, it just becomes complicated. So a lot of institutional um, investors or institutional um, acquirers, those strategic groups, aren't really interested in out-of-network practices, or at least that's how how Mike put it. So um, when Dave and I spoke off air before he came on the show, I thought it was a very interesting topic, this idea of running an an out of network, an intentionally out of network practice, which Dave does run. Um, and the idea of taking his business model and kind of scaling from there. So he's he is an out of network practice. He runs a mobile outpatient um, kind of in-home physical therapy practice. And we talk about that. It's called Concierge Pain Relief. And they operate out of the, the New York area. So we talk a little bit about that, about growing this out-of-network practice and the differences between what constitutes an out-of-network practice and what constitutes a cash-based or a private pay practice. Because a lot of times those terms are used seemingly interchangeably between providers and different organizations, but there's, there is a significant difference between an organization that is an out-of-network organization and an organization that is private pay or cash-based. And we talk a little bit about that, kind of the differences of, of billing, doing the out-of-network billing on behalf of your clients and patients. Um, and one interesting thing about Dave and his strategy here is that he's planning on growing and expanding his organization through acquisitions. And we talk a little bit about 
the funding behind that, the funding mechanism and the family office that he's using to kind of drive these acquisitions and what they're looking for and the strategy and kind of where we go from here. So it was just a very interesting conversation, um, just a good way of kind of looking at business in general. And we, we talk ab about um, valuations and acquisitions. So this is going to kind of be a, a, almost a deeper dive, if you would. So Mike talked a lot about um, strate the, the strategy of, of building an exit plan. Um, and then we're talking to Dave now about kind of what he's looking for in acquiring businesses or acquiring clinics. So hopefully it's just a good um, supplement or, or kind of add on to that uh, previous episode we've done on exit planning and exit strategy. So um, without further ado, here is Dave Kittle talking about um, growing a out-of-network practice and then grow through acquisition. Well, hey, Dave, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Rafi. Uh, feeling great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you about growth, about growing an out-of-network clinic. Um, but before we do that, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you came to do what you're doing now. Sure. I'm a physical therapist. I've always been an entrepreneur and uh, worked for several different companies in the New York City area over the years. And um, long story short, about four years ago, started an in-home physical therapy practice and um, we treat predominantly ortho and neuro, kind of a 50-50 split there. And we are out of network with folks that uh, may have out of network benefits uh, and also private pay. And that's uh, kind of goes back and forth in terms of uh, percentages, but um, probably right now 60% out of network and then 40% private pay where we just have their cards on file. So um, a pretty customized curated experience. It's not for everybody. Uh, we don't have barbells. We don't have the full gym experience, but um, that's pretty much where we're at for the, the confines of uh, New York City. Yeah. So you're offering services in, in the home, right? As opposed to them coming to a clinic or something like that. Correct. So we, uh, we do in-home. We've done boardrooms, offices. Uh, I've been uh, to in you. restaurants, uh, <laughs> helping, helping chefs uh, in, in the restaurant, uh, treat them there. Uh, pretty much anywhere. So it could be hotel rooms, uh, it, people that fly into New York City and stay for a couple of weeks for a surgery. Um, it's really unique. It, it always keeps it fresh. Yeah. So I guess then was one of the main reasons for being out of network, and we'll talk about what that means in a minute, but um, was that mode of treatment, like going to their the patient or the client's place of business or home or anything, was that one of the driving factors that chose you to do that? Or was there another reason that made you think, oh, I'll just go do in-home therapy? Uh, well, one of the reasons was I, I saw how other practices were doing it. I saw the approximate uh, reimbursement throughout a network versus in-network. Um, and it was basically uh, really, you know, great or, or above average reimbursement per visit throughout a network side versus in-network. So in terms of your, you know, your, your time and, and the reimbursement amount, and being able to provide a, a above and beyond quality experience. So not just 60 minutes with each patient, which is not for everybody, but that's what we wanna do. Um, and then at the same time, being able to be compensated for that and communicating with patients between the visits and following up with them, uh, kind of having a lot of these patients or clients uh, for life. So it's uh, across the continuum. Um, we just, I, I saw that as a promising business model as opposed to the in-network traditional model where it's a little bit more volume based and, and typically is an office doesn't mean that there's not offices that are outpatient uh, that do out of network across the country that's certainly promising as well uh, it just seemed to you know fit for my type of uh, situation at that time and it made sense for my therapist and myself and our clients yeah yeah so um so it was, it was kind of both a business decision it made sense financially and then also from the from the quality of care huh right yeah. Um, so when we say out of network, you're still in some instances, you're still billing insurance, right? You're still submitting uh, insurance or claims on their behalf, or are you providing your your patients or your clients like a super bill or something that they're getting reimbursed for down the road? I, I love how we're making this distinction because if you're just giving someone a super bill or an itemized receipt, that is not out of network. You might yeah. <laughs> say that you're out of network, but you're not providing any out of network billing yeah. incentive for the patient, right? So what we do is we have a, a medical biller, we verify everyone's insurance on the front end, 
if they have a deductible, they have to pay out of pocket our prorated, like whatever our approximate out of pocket rate per yeah. visit is. All those dollars, we're not pocketing those. All those dollars are reflected towards their out of network deductible. Once they hit that deductible, it could be the fifth visit. If the fifth visit, uh, then their cost per visit would drop down. And then we're billing their insurance, their out of network benefits through that medical biller that gets a, a percentage of our collections like any other biller. And, uh, and then we're billing that patient's insurance and their cost per visit, they get the same great experience. Someone coming conveniently to their home, doctor physical therapy, uh, coming to their residence and getting the ortho or the neuro treatment and um, their cost per, per visit drops once they hit their deductible. So they're oftentimes paying their in-network copay at that point. Yeah. So that's super appealing. Once they hit their deductible, they're having a, an in-network in price, but a, you know, concierge or out of pocket or out of network type of an experience. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an important distinction because you do see a lot of people saying, at least on their websites and stuff that they're out of network, but then it's still, well, you pay us up front and we'll give you the super bill and you can go get reimbursed. But there's, there's a big distinction when you're doing some of that heavy lifting on the patient or client's behalf, right? <laughs> sure. Absolutely. So cool deal. All right. So we've established the baseline. So you're doing in home, maybe in the restaurant, whatever, in boardroom treatments, you're, you're doing some of the heavy lifting with the um, out-of-network billing side of things. Um, how does it work from a, like a, a patient acquisition standpoint then on your, on your end? Are you marketing to uh, physicians or referral uh, organizations, or are you trying to go more direct to consumer in that route for new business think- development? We've been direct to consumer this whole time. I, awesome. I built the business through Google ads and now word of mouth is great. And it's the conversion rate for that is typically right. very high. Yeah. <laughs> it's very high, but you have to wait. Like there's, you know, you could remind people like, Hey, Rafi, like I would love for you to, you know, refer any friends or, you know, mention us to your, your neighbors or whatever. Um, but you can't rely on that. And I believe it, it's, it's just, it's slow. So what we do is Google ads and we've done it, you know, almost from day one, that's how we grew the practice. And we end up getting folks in our orbit and speaking to them uh, to kind of filter in and out if, if they're the right fit um, through Google ads, folks that are looking for in-home physical therapy or the related, you know, offering. Yeah. Now, are you able to, because you're out of network and, and doing some of that, are you able to offer services that would not be otherwise covered via normal insurance? I'm thinking like, maybe dry needling or some, you know, some of those things that are, that are coming kind of at the forefront that some insurance companies aren't paying for. Are you still providing that? And then the patient is, you're still billing that out of network and the patient's making up the, the difference or, or how does that work? Well, the, the one answer to that is uh, dry needling is not allowed in the state of New York. So we oh, would probably well, have to easy. get a different example. <laughs> yeah. So, so like um, if someone called, so someone called in yesterday and they were looking for stretch therapy, yeah. which is like, they want someone to come to them and passively stretch them for an hour. Well, well I, we told them like, Hey, it's not medically necessary. Your insurance is not going to pay for that. Um, tell us what's going on. Maybe if you have other issues, but that purely is, would be out of pocket. So there's uh-huh. always a communication cool. like, you know, back and forth about what they're looking for and is it medically necessary? Is it medically necessary and a covered service or not? And then if it's not like, if they're looking for, um, some hybrid, like we'll get, uh, we've had people just call and say like, can you, um, you know, walk our family member in, in the hallway or outside just want somebody the there to make sure they're not going to fall. Right. <laughs> right. So then it's like, well, then you got to evaluate them and see like, are they actually medically necessary? And they may be. Um, but we ha- we've also had people call in and they're like, yeah, I can walk like two miles and I want to walk four miles. Like, well, <laughs> that is, you're already, That's a good like, goal. <laughs> you're already really good in terms of where you're at. And it's, uh, that's something that we wouldn't legally be able to document, uh, and, and show medical necessity for. Yeah. So I guess there's a distinction there as, as always. Right. So, yeah. um, I had a question. Oh, about the decision to go out of network. Obviously when you and I spoke last time, you said you were out of network with Medicare too. Um, I got two questions. The first one was what made you make that decision from a, I guess, a, a market potential decision, right? Like, obviously, there's a lot of older people that use Medicare and not going in in network with Medicare kind of cuts a lot of that potential patient volume away. 
Um, so what was your, what was your decision about doing that? Was it just too much of a headache or you're already out of network and you're keeping busy? So why bother? I didn't want to do the Medicare paperwork. If we, <laughs> if we grow, so the next conversation that we're about to have on yeah. the show, I'm sure we're going to talk about the acquisitions that like those things are already set up. So for us, it was like, you know, we're charging folks like on average X amount per visit out of pocket. Uh, we know that, you know, if someone has medic Medicare and they're medically ne medically necessary, then tip typically we should actually refer them to someone that actually takes their Medicare. There's a whole gray area yeah, there. Yeah. Um, but we didn't want to have to try to enroll into all these in-network plans and agree to these low reimbursements. We just, it was like, I think when we started, it was like, I don't know, our time's worth like a hundred bucks a visit, a hundred bucks an hour. The visits, you know, back then 45 minutes to an hour. So it was like if Medicare is paying a hundred for four units after you and you have to do extra documentation, like if if you're seeing someone purely out of pocket, the state in New York, like the medic, like the uh, the low lowest um, the lowest uh, documentation, the the just satisfying the lowest form of uh, what's docu like documentable and and required uh, is less if you're literally just doing like paper and pen and you're charging someone like out of pocket. And it's more when it's the payers and the, yeah. you know, the EMR and you got to click through a lot of stuff. So then like those systems and processes have made it more. So that was like basically in a nutshell, like why, <laughs> why we skipped out on all that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if you've, if you've ever had some of these discussions being a former academic, I get them every now and then from former colleagues and stuff like that, specifically about out of network and private pay. And there's always the discussion of, well, I mean, if everybody decided to go out of network, no one would be able to get services, right? Like these people that need services wouldn't be able to get them. What, yep. what is your typical response when you hear that? I say that there's, luckily there's always, I believe a safety net available. Now, if ever, you're right, if everyone went out of network, then the whole system would have to change and they would have yeah. to say, oh, well, maybe we should actually reimburse and pay therapists more. They're actually demanding, you know, $200 a visit or whatever it yeah. is. You know, so if everyone went out of network, there might be a gap where like people that actually need the care and the physical therapy would actually not get it at all. And that's yeah. terrible. But as you know, there's many of these like root causes of like the health insurance system. And we're kind of downstream playing uh -huh. in response to the symptoms or the, the, the challenges of the system. We're kind of just like playing the game. Um, and, and that's a whole other conversation about, you know, the healthcare system. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of how I feel about it. I say right now, like, if someone wants to work with us, we we have like fixed costs for like the marketing costs. I have to pay my therapist. Like I had a conversation with my a therapist today. It was like, hey, can you uh, increase the the rate? Like, can can you pay me more because rent's going up and inflation and this and that and, and all that. So I we're getting pressure from practice owners. Like I'm paying for an answering service. I'm paying for Google Ads. I'm paying fixed costs to treat you know my therapist. So I need some margin to reinvest it in the business so that we can actually can continue to help the, the, the neighborhood or the community. But yeah. at the end of the day, not every business can be uh, the, the right fit for every single consumer, I believe so. Yeah, yes, that's a very similar response to the one I give is like, well, you know, it's a, it's a free market. <laughs> not everybody's gonna, well, and from a, just from a business standpoint, like not every business is gonna choose to go out of network because that you know they're in network already and that's the the cost of going out and all that kind of stuff so anyways let's dive into the the interesting discussion at hand so when i had a conversation with mike pekatowski i can't remember if it was this most previous one or the, the one from last year we had a discussion around acquisitions and strategic players and the types of practices that purchase other practices and what they look for and one of the big things that that he talked about in that conversation was um, they look at payer mix, they look at um, reimbursement rates and contracts and all that, especially if they're going to be moving into a new geographic area. And I brought up the idea of, okay, so what about like these out of network practices? He said, oh, strategic, strategic partners don't necessarily purchase out of network practices because there's just not a whole lot there for them. You know, <laughs> they're in network, right? That's their business model, their strategy. So as a result, you get a lot of out of network practices that might get really big. Um, and they might add locations here and there and the other, you know, wherever, but they haven't made the leap yet to think about growing through acquisition. 
And that's something that you're thinking about, right? You're in the process of doing. So talk with yeah. us a little bit about one, why you made that decision to go th grow through acquisition as opposed to just organic growth. And then we'll talk a little bit about how you're going to make it work and, and all that kind of stuff. So we'll just start with the basics. Why are you deciding to grow through acquisition in, a, in an out-of-network practice? So one is I believe that we can get to, you know, like I want to grow. I don't want to just stay where we're at. So that's like maybe like the foundational yeah. belief of like, <laughs> I don't want to just like get to like a comfortable level and just like stay like that, maybe increase a few percentage points uh, each year. Uh, I, I want to grow. And so I want to, I want to grow our platform company, which is the in-home therapy company, the practice. And I believe that we can get there faster through acquisition. Otherwise we would just be doing it ourselves and we would just try to continue to grow, which is what we're, we're growing organically with the Google ads, the word of mouth, all that type of stuff. So I've seen like a, a lot of other businesses, a lot of other practices, like they typically do that. Uh, the ones that we speak to now, and they say things like, man, I, I wish I didn't get complacent. I wish I, you know, I wish I did what you guys were doing 10, 20, 30 years ago. Right. So I just, I want to grow. I, I believe that we can grow faster. It doesn't always, it's not always going to be, uh, the best growth, because then if you grow organically, you can kind of curate your own culture along the way. Yeah. You can kind of, you can kind of grow your own thing as it goes. So there's going to be challenges that way. There's, I'm not saying it's easy, but I just believe that we can grow uh, via acquisition and get there faster, get to also end up helping more people and more, more patients and clients under our philosophy, under our type of business model through acquisition, as opposed to just organic growth only. Yeah. So being out of network then, i P.S. I like the I like the growth through acquisition model. So I, I like to see that you're doing it in the out of network. So, given your strategy, your out of network strategy, your your targets, for lack of a better word, or the clinics that you might look at to purchase or acquire and bring into your fold, are you looking specifically for for out of network folks, or is it no, one of those like you're looking for maybe in in network if the if the culture is right, or if the size is right, or the geographic area is right, and then what do you do about your business model, if one big EIN purchases another EIN that's in network with all these organizations, right? So right now we have a practice under contract in Brooklyn. Uh, under contract basically means like we've agreed on a purchase price and terms uh, via a non-binding LOI, a letter of intent. And now we're kind of going you know, into due diligence. Yeah. So that's where we're at right now. We are speaking with another 10, 12 practice owners that are kind of in the ballpark of, of seriousness in terms of, of selling some or all their practice. Now, the one we have under contract right now is 100% in network. Yeah. So when, you, when you're, you're saying like, we're taking our out of network model and making acquisitions, which is true, but we're not necessarily just acquiring out of network practices only. And we see that there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of ideas. It's gonna take time and effort. But for the outpatient office that's in network right now that we have under contract, if we, let's say we close the, the sale today, um, there's going to be a lot of time and effort and work to go put into that. But our ideas are like, you know, aside from cleaning up the, the billing, the revenue cycle management, the, you know, that, that type of thing, we're going to have a, a billing team help us with that. But in terms of the offering, we believe that one thing will like, we could immediately have home visits or the, the concierge like mobile visits, like almost immediately with our current home therapy practice. And then there's other things like with certain payers, like if certain contracts are below whatever it costs the practice to deliver one visit, like how much it costs to deliver one uh, service visit, um, then some of those contracts might need to be dropped by, by us, by the practice. And then in those cases, then we may decide to go out of network with some of those payers. It's probably not going to be a, a clean swipe across the board yeah. and just like not overnight go out of network with everyone. I think that would be risky. We might, you know, go by uh, payer by payer, maybe try to negotiate contracts. Obviously, you know that you have to be really, really big to yeah. probably get much of a change with uh, negotiating contracts. So um, we're not just looking to acquire outpatient. Uh, I'm sorry, we're not looking to just acquire out of network specifically. So it really depends, like the other thing you say, which is it depends on the, the owner, the culture, is the right fit, the location, the team, how long has the team been there? Like, are all the PTs like in and out? Like, is it a revolving door? Or are there PTs that have been there five, 10 years, 15 years? Like, that's great because they're, they're, yeah, they're, gonna they're be loyal, they're sticky, <laughs> they're, they're going to be there for a while. So, or they have been there for a while. So that shows like 
stability. Yeah. Okay. So then from a, from a standpoint of, okay, we're, we picked this clinic, we're going to maybe look at them. Do you, your evaluation, are you still looking in the same way that like a, a strategic in-network person might, might look at them? Or are you adding more value on maybe a geographic region or maybe a contract that you're not in yet that you want to be in or any of that? Like, does any of that come into play or change the way you look at a, a clinic from a valuation standpoint, or is it kind of just standard? This is what best practices in the industry and we're doing it this way. You're saying in terms of valuing the practice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first big thing, similar to what you mentioned on the episodes with Mike is like, what's the annual net profit and, and EBITDA after ad back. So uh -huh. after some of the, the owner's discretionary purchases, what, it, what is the EBITDA there? That's like the biggest component, but then there's always going to be a buffer. Like how do, how do we, the potential buyer and the potential seller, like we're, we're going to go back and forth. They're going to uh -huh. say it's, it's X, Y, Z is worth more. We're going to say, I don't know, like it might not be worth as much as you believe it's worth. Right. So like in that buffer, they might say, Oh, so, so we've had a practice owner. You've seen the, the APO shoes with like the rounded bottom shoes Yes, that yeah. some insurances pay for. Uh huh. So there's a practice owner that we won't mention name or location, but they were like close to getting a contract for that. And one of the, one or more of the insurances were, would pay like a lot of hundreds of dollars or something or thousands for the therapist to kind of be the conduit for those shoes, like fitting and, and all that, and kind of teach them the exercises or just, you know, walk on them or, or whatever. So, but that owner was saying like, Hey, we might get this, but he didn't have it. He or she didn't have it in place. Yeah. So there's things like that. You could say if an owner said, okay, location, they're near the practices, the location is near the subway. It's near a, it's on a busy street or it's not all of those things kind of go into the negotiation. We start with what's the net profit, the EBITDA, and then there's going to be all these other factors. Yeah. Yeah. As far as location goes, are I don't know if you've put a lot of, a lot of thought into this or not, but it seems like there are some chains, we will leave them unnamed, that they're, they're putting, they're putting clinics on like, they're like Waffle House down here in the South. They're like at every corner, you know, like, um, pr particularly for like an out of network practice. I'm, I'm curious about this. Like, have you thought about geographic location of your clinics? Because I'm assuming at least my experience in our clinic, the, the patients that we see that are out of network or that are, are cash pay are usually willing to drive a little further to come see us than like an in-network patient might be, right? Because they're, they're looking more for the convenience factor. Um, when acquiring through this model, because you're out of network, are you kind of extending that geographic reach? Or are you okay with them being a little closer together? Or like, what are your thoughts on distance from locations? Uh, per practice, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Assuming they have multiple. Exactly. Or if you're we, just going to start putting new ones out. <laughs> well, well. so one thing is we're only speaking with practice owners in New York, New Jersey. There's a few practice owners that we've spoken with that have a mobile practice that's in other states. So uh -huh. that's appealing because I already know that model. We do it here in New yeah. York and there's other practice owners that are doing it like across multiple states. So that's appealing. But in terms of the brick and mortar outpatient offices, we're only speaking with practice owners in New York, New Jersey, because I'm going to be the one, you know, traveling and, 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 and helping with, with culture, training, staff, all that type of stuff. So we're not looking to go past that right now until we, you know, grow a team. Nail it down. Um, also, we're not looking to do any de novos. We're not looking to do any startups. Um, our, what well, our perception of assessing value and risk is like, there's already this practice has been there for 10, 15, 18 years. And it's probably going to be busy and needed in the community for another 5, 10, 18 years. Right. Yeah. So these bigger practices that are starting and popping up de novos, even here on the East coast, it's happening. Um, I'm like, wow, like, is there enough that enough demand? Like, yeah. I guess they must've done enough, like, you know, underwriting or not underwriting. They must've done enough like market research yeah. to, uh, to see if there was enough demand. I, our, our focus is acquiring profitable, reputable assets and, and practices and not start de novos or, or startups right now. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. <laughs> if they, they, if they've been there for a while, they'll probably be there for, for a little bit longer. Right. As far as just, this is my own curiosity. Now, New York, that area, 
are y'all pretty thick with like the volume of clinics that are out there because of the, I don't know, 11 million people that live in New York city or whatever, or, or are you more spread out? Like, I, I guess what's the state of the market there? Like, are there just PTs on every clinic, on every corner? There there's, there's PT practices all over the place. There's, um, one, two, three. I mean, I, I can say names like they're like, and it's nothing against them. Like they're doing great. Like yeah. their spear, their spear that has 25 locations. Uh, they're just in the New York city area. There's professional PT that has all over the East coast. There's motion PT that has all over the East yeah. coast. There's Ivy rehab. That's all over the East coast. And now there like a lot of them, even Ivy is uh, coming into to Brooklyn and to New York city. So there's a lot of in-network outpatient offices all over the city. There's some historically that have been inside of gyms like uh, New York sports clubs or, or, or fitness centers. Yeah. There've been, you know, uh, Blink Fitness, maybe even Equinox. And then there's the other, like the tier of like the independent private pay or cash-based physical therapist that wants to like go do their own thing. They can start doing home visits. They could, you know, do a sublease somewhere and, and, and or go into some like boutique gym. So there's like, there's so much... Uh, available patient demand that like, I guess there's competition just, but also there's just so much demand because there's so many people, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I'm always curious about that. Like I've, whenever I travel to another state, I always look at, because I'm in the PTOT world, I'm always looking and, and seeing, oh man, they don't have that many here or, <laughs> or man, there's a whole lot of them, you know, it's, right. just, it's, it's interesting. Um, and I guess that speaks for the, the kind of the strength of the market too. Like if there's, if some of these big players are putting them up everywhere, then obviously there's something to it. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So we talked a little bit about the acquisition, what you're looking for. Um, are you looking, maybe we didn't, maybe I didn't, uh, cover this one. So are you looking at some of these practices Are these multi-location practices? Or are you looking specifically for like single, uh, brick and mortar or maybe single, uh, single location just from a, like a culture standpoint when you go in and, and acquire this practice? We're looking for practices that are around a million in, in revenue or more. Now we'll, we'll speak to some practice owners that are maybe below that, but it, it really goes back to how long have they been in practice? How long have they been serving their community? Um, and ultimately like, we'll do a lot of outbound now, like, as you know, like I have a podcast, I have a show, like I'm trying to do that as a way for content marketing and to get more exposure. So we have practice owners reaching out to us and what we found as a niche. So you were asking like, what do we look for? But on the other perspective is like, there's practice owners that if they haven't already sold to a corporate, one of the corporates I already just mentioned, if they haven't already sold to them in the past three to five years, because they've actually, they've absolutely been contacted by all of them. (laughs) If they have not sold to them by now, there's probably a reason. And typically what they say to us is they don't want to sell to a corporate. They would rather sell to a group like us that has physical therapists and is kind of like a PT owner group, meaning it like led by a therapist and is less of the big bureaucracy, you know, corporate type of situation, because otherwise they would have sold to them either before COVID or during COVID or now, you know, at, in 2022. So those are the types of owners that we kind of have great conversations with and we're open to both. Like we've, we've spoken with and, and are speaking with practices that have anywhere from one location to five or 10, like that on the, on the high side yeah. or on the, you know, the, the scale side that big as of right now, nothing uh, larger than that. Um, that's going to take a lot more, you know, investment money and, and all that. But um, that's kind of our sweet spot right now. Yeah. No, I, I like that distinction the the people that sold to corporate versus not, I, you know, I purchased a clinic here at the tail end of 2020. And when I was talking to the two owners, the previous owners about their clinic, and I knew we had a big chain that was buying up stuff. I was like, so, you know, like, obviously they can probably offer you more than I'm going to offer you here. And they're like, I think it would kill our soul if we sold to them. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> So there's something there you go. The type of the type of owner that would sell to, to a corporate versus non. Um, you did mention uh, just a second ago, investment money. So how, what's the, the funding mechanism for these acquisitions? Is it, are you looking at PE or is it friends and family? Like, how are you, how are you doing that? Yeah, great question. So it's our capital in, directly or indirectly through our board. So I, I created a board uh, and it's my capital from the in-home therapy practice, basically, again, reinvesting back in the uh-huh. same way that we reinvest in the Google ads. 
um, through the board. And then also um, I've met several different high net worth individuals over the years uh, doing home visits for them and their family. Yeah. And I kind of kept them apprised of what we've been doing and, and what we're up to and, and the, my goals and everything. So one of them is someone who's very, very, very successful and has a family office for the audience. If you don't know what that is, it's basically like if you become a multimillionaire, multi hundred millionaire or billionaire, you get you do something called a family office where you hire a team, an investment team to actually manage your own assets. It sounds crazy as a therapist probably, but um, that that's a family office now. So that's one of our uh, equity backers. And the reason why that's beneficial is because most of the other big corporate PT chains are private equity backed. Yeah. And those private equity funds have to get a return for their investors, you know, every, you know, three to seven years or and five to seven crazy, years. It's crazy, right? <laughs> it's, and it's usually crazy. So what they do is they'll have to accelerate a lot of growth. And that puts a lot of pressure on therapists and, the, you know, in terms of, you know, units or volume, completed visits, right? The benefit for us is that we have this family office that's like, hey, Dave, we love you. We trust you. We have a long term investment horizon. So meaning we don't need that quick five to seven year return. Now, of course, they need and they want to return, but they know that it's a long term play and it's not a short term play, which I don't know. I've never heard of any of these corporate PT groups that are family office backed as opposed yeah. to being private equity backed or typically PE backed. And that's another uh, area of differentiation for us where that's also appealing for owners. They want to sell to someone like you or me because it's like a therapist they're selling to. But it also doesn't hurt that we have a different, uh, a different financial partner that has a long-term view. And that money is not tied to a fund that needs a, a measurable return to then you know, return to their limited partners. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and some of those PE firms, like you said, they're, they're trying to turn around quick. And a lot of times it's, it ends up being another sale, right? Like they're, they buy a group or, you know, they, they might even do a roll up where they take 50, 60 clinics, roll them all up into one fund. You know, they try to accelerate that growth for like 12 to 18 months, maybe a couple of years. And then it's like, boom, we're selling it to somebody else too. And there's just on top of the, the pressure for volume, there's also like this, this under, understanding maybe it's unspoken or maybe it is spoken and, and talked about in those offices that like management's going to change again because they know that this this PE firm just pushing them through, they're growing them. And once they hit their whatever level it is, they're selling them off to another group that's probably going to have more demands or different demands. And it just becomes a different um, a different bear altogether. I like the family right. office movement. <laughs> so um, I guess that does lead to the next question too. So you're you're acquiring these these clinics as a long term vision. You got a family office kind of backing you financially. So the long term plan for these for these clinics is what you holding them for as long until you're ready to retire, or <laughs> until you get to the point where Cor you sell it, or or what? Correct, correct. We we really we really of course if there's investors involved, then they they want to you know they want to have some exit, and yeah. of course with them we have to talk about it. But we want to hold assets for the long term. We want to use the cash flow of the initial assets that we acquire. We want to be able to bonus the staff. We want to be able to show, you know, that the staff can actually potentially have some type of an upside if they stay with us instead yeah. of go to some corporate or go start their own practice. And then also use that, use some percentage of that cash flow to roll into other assets. And we want to hold them for long term. So it's, I mean, I, I've read a lot with. Warren Buffett. So uh, long-term play, long-term investments. Um, and it's turned out well for people like him and, and a lot of others that are in terms of a, like a long-term horizon of, of holding practices or holding, you know, holding Any businesses asset, yeah. that that's always going to be in need. Like, you know, Warren Buffett said things like, you know, he bought into Wrigley's gum because, you know, people were always going to chew gum. There was never going to be an app or technology that disrupts how people chew gum. That's the way I see physical therapy. I don't think there, I know there's apps out there, but I don't think there's ever going to be some killer app that's going to change the way that someone gets uh, empathetical and, and high quality yeah. therapy, whether from OT, PT, whatever. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, we have folks on the show all the time that are either starting some new software piece in the in the rehab industry, or you know they're starting some tool, or they they've acquired some kind of technology and 
artificial intelligence or whatever it is. And people always freak out. Like I'll get the shows that I get the, the most emails from um, are the shows about something that's going to quote unquote, kill the industry, right? <laughs> like, I can't believe you're going to give these people a platform because they're going to, they're going to turn us all into, you know, button pushers or whatever. And I'm like, I don't, my way of looking at it is like, you could look at this technology as a force multiplier, right? Like it has, it has the ability to expand your reach in ways we never thought of. Um, the, maybe the clinics or the clinicians that go under because of it probably should have anyways in the first place. <laughs> right. Right. Um, are y'all exploring other kind of revenue streams in those assets? Like in, instead of um, just like pay per visit or, or volume or whatever, um, other types of revenue generation. Like I've, I'm talking to somebody right now. We we just created a couple courses here, proactive and and stuff like that. Like other ways of kind of pulling in or serving more clients and using that kind of that revenue as a means to again roll into more assets and all that kind of stuff. I think the the easiest thing to consider would be something like wellness memberships. Yeah. So whether it's like those TheraBoots, the 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 TheraBody, you know, compression boots, or it's uh, some out of pocket recurring membership, which you have the person's card on file, so that's very valuable. Reoccurs every month if you're showing value, like if it's actually helpful. They could come in, drop in anytime. Maybe they get soft tissue work, they get some assisted stretching, they they get cupping, they get whatever it is out of pocket. Uh, depending on the spacing, it could be sports performance, it could be sports conditioning, sports specific type programming, if you have that type of space. Um, and if you're trying to serve that type of a population, but we're, we're looking at um, things like that out of pocket type services, less light, less towards the, the digital course type thing. And uh -huh. I would love in, in the future, I would love to hear how it goes for you. Because if you find <laughs> that it's that it's helpful or beneficial, if it's taken um, off, we'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, you let, let us know. But but at the end of the day, like, if, if someone has some mild form of back pain and if they can pay you to, if they pay you 250 bucks for some 12 week digital course, great. And if it helps them, great. Um, it, I just don't think those types of things like digital courses are going to be able to solve a lot of the oh, world's yeah, like orthopedic sure. issues and especially, and especially like neurological issues, vertigo, dizziness, whatever. No one's going to an app for that type yeah. of stuff. Exactly. Yeah, no, I agree. I feel like, you know, knowledge translation is obviously something that's, at least in my opinion, one of the biggest value as a clinicians bring to the table anyways. So I'm, I'm always looking at, well, maybe if you develop something that is some form of knowledge translation, at the end of the day, maybe it's, maybe it is just like the funnel that gets them into your clinic or something like that, right? Like, like right. you said, someone with a, a vestibular issue is not going to be able to use an app on their smartphone and, you know, do an epley maneuver on themselves or something. <laughs> <laughs> right or something. Right. Um, all right. Let me see if I have any questions coming to mind. So we talked a little bit about um, kind of the acquisition. As far as as culture goes, like when you're having these conversations with these um, with these prospective organizations that you're you know the clinics that you're looking at buying, do you was part of the process having a conversation with staff and management and kind of getting a feel for their you know, their sense of purpose or, or whatever you want to call it within the organization, or has it really been just kind of owner, owner to owner or executive to executive conversations? In the beginning, just owner to owner. So ultimately that's the owner's uh, decision as yeah. to when he or she may tell their staff. And uh -huh. many of them are not going to tell them unless it's really close or actually something close. happening, right? Because they, they don't want to scare them. Some owner, I've heard owners on my podcast say both ways. Like they told their staff up front, like that's who was visiting or whatever. Uh, also, we've toured practices and we met with owners after the clinic closed that day. So we don't necessarily meet all the staff and you don't necessarily know how the clinic is uh, in terms of the culture. Yeah. Um, but you try, you try to piece it together, right? You got messaging on the website. You have Google reviews, maybe there's Yelp or Facebook reviews. You kind of look at the online messaging. Um, you could do, uh, let's see what we have done. I've done, um, I've been a, a patient, I had some neck discomfort. And last year when we were looking at a different practice, I went into the practice, I scheduled an evaluation for neck pain. I went in, I went oh, like, nice. and now I didn't tell that owner. And I, I don't, I, I haven't done it with all the other candidates that we're targeting right now. But I, I, I went through that whole process the owner didn't get upset. He said, hey, he said, hey, Dave, if I were you, I would do the same thing, right? Yeah. So I got to go in as the patient, as a real patient and kind of see how I was welcomed in the office, 
how I was told the to wait, paperwork, that whole thing brought back, how I was evaluated and treated, knowing with like, I'm a therapist. So yeah. I know what actually should occur. And like, anytime something didn't, then it's like, oh, you know, whatever. So that, <laughs> that was helpful. I've had family members come visit us and we send them into some of these offices as secret shoppers and they go in and they say, Hey, like in person, like, Hey, uh, do you take whatever insurance or, you know, can I get some more information and can I get some brochures or whatever? And then the place like doesn't have brochures to hand out just, just little things like all those things you can, you can learn a lot. You just, you can't learn it all unless you're in the office and you're kind of seeing and hearing the culture, but in the, in the small time that we've done this, um, I have been pleasantly surprised seeing how the team communicate, the therapists are communicating with each other or with patients. And that is super reassuring, but anytime someone's going to spend, you know, X amount of some, some substantial dollars to potentially acquire any practices like this, um, it's important for someone like us to do our own due diligence. Yeah. And, and maybe I could, I mean, we could save it for the podcast where I, I have you on my show, but, um, you know, like, it, did you do any of those things? Did you, you know, maybe you knew the practice already? Yeah. I, well, I knew the owners before. And then a couple of my former colleagues or classmates had been through the, they had worked there or whatever. So I kind of had an, an inside view. Um, one of my friends, his wife worked here for like five or six years. So I was like, okay, I got a little bit of feel for, how it's working <laughs> or not working. Right. Um, I guess, so another question kind of comes off of that one. So you're looking at these, you're kind of getting the, the high value picture of their, their um, or the high level picture of their culture, how things are working, their processes. Have y'all developed like a, um, uh, what does he call it in the e-myth? Um, a prototype, like a, almost like a franchise model where you're like, these are the systems that are going to work and we're going to buy you and we're going to apply these systems to your practice or, or have you given much thought about that kind of what happens sure. post post acquisition? Sure. I mean, one, one example is what we do already for my yeah. home therapy practice, concierge pain relief. So if someone calls my practice, like it gets answered by an answering service person who kind of reads through our script and like gets your information. And then someone from my team does the callback. So at least like we have that in place. That's like a small thing, but like these potential acquisition targets, I'll call their office like 8 PM on a Friday, 5 PM on a Saturday. And like the call doesn't get answered, which is fine, but then I don't leave a voicemail. And then my call never gets returned. It's like, I'm a persp- I could have been a prospective patient yeah. and my call doesn't get returned or the call doesn't get answered. That's like one little thing that, yeah, of course we have like a, uh, a playbook per se uh, of what we believe works with the concierge pain relief. And we're absolutely going to implement those types of things, but it's more on the front end. It's more on the, uh, the patient experience side of things. It's about communication. Um, and it's about taking someone through a process like a conversation that we kind of touch on the whole insurance and cost, uh-huh. but we, we try to nicely touch on that and then get off of that and then talk about their situation. Yeah. Rafi, t- tell me about what's going on. Oh, it sounds like that's frustrating. I, we've had other clients that have an X, Y, Z issue and they've mentioned that they've been dealing it like that, you know, dealing with it just like you're mentioning it. Here's what they found to be helpful. Here's how they made a decision. Here's Here's the things that we've been able to help our clients with. Maybe we send them testimonials, what, whatever. But our onboarding calls are longer in duration. Yeah. And those are some of the things that we would, we're probably going to uh, bring to our acquisition targets. That, that's just like, that's one thing of like several behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's awesome. <laughs> one of the first things I did when, when I bought this practice was basically put, not a script, I hate the word script, but it's a, it's a framework. It's a conversation framework for when somebody calls right. and it's like, these phone calls might take you longer than they did before, but the patients or the prospective patients are going to walk away from that experience feeling like, oh my gosh, this clinic cares about me. And that's what you're shooting for, right? Exactly. So, um, it's always interesting to think about. I didn't, I did not really put a whole lot of thought into like, business frameworks. And when I purchase this thing, I'm going to take this model and apply it here. Cause I didn't have one before I was, you know, I'd been doing a lot of consulting and I've, t- I took some of the frameworks that I use with my clients and put it here, but, um, there you go. having it, having a, um, uh, a, a 
what do you call it? A kind of like a sample that you're doing here now with the clinic and then taking that what's working and applying it to an acquisition target is, is probably a little bit easier <laughs> because yeah, I mean, the real world experience. And, and just from the example I gave, like the, the communication piece on the front end, then, and the same thing with your framework, like you implement that type of thing, maybe the practice didn't have that set up. And then now all of a sudden the cancel no-show rate goes from, you know, 20% to 10% or from 15% to 7% and more folks are actually arriving for their visits. Now for us, it's easier because we're going to people for, yeah. the, for the home visits, but in an outpatient office, like more people that actually arrive, they're more likely to complete their plan of care. They're exactly. more likely to get the result that they wanted. They're more likely to tell more people about that office or that clinic and that experience. And that's kind of like the part of the marketing machine kind of uh, you know, fulfilling pro like process where it's just yeah. going to continue. Yeah. Alrighty. Um, well, we're getting near the end here. Thanks so much for taking the time. I'm trying to think if there's anything like one or two main takeaways you would want a listener to walk away with from the show, what would they be? Takeaways, um, you know, look outside the box, like, like, there's opportunities just like Rafi to, um, like Rafi, you didn't have a practice before you acquired this one, right? Or did no. you? No, I was a you consultant did. before. So <laughs> most people think, most therapists, PTs, OTs, right? They think they have to go work for somebody or maybe they start a practice and you did something that's not one of those two things. So like, think outside the box, look and, and find resources like this type of an episode. Like there's ways where you don't have to have a practice like I do and then go acquire practice. You can do what Rafi did and you can acquire a practice uh, that you already know and, and you trust and you see that you can work hard in it and implement new ideas and, and potentially new strategies. And you don't need to go work for somebody else or the daunting task of starting something yeah. from scratch, which is also challenging. And, and that's probably the, the biggest takeaway. PTs, OTs, there's other things you can do out there. Look, look at the pros and cons of acquiring someone else's practice. There's a lot of potentially motivated sellers out there. There's folks that are even in their 40s, 50s, 60s that are either looking to retire, start the next chapter of their life. Maybe they want a different uh, pace of life. Maybe they're looking to move. And you, the PTOT listening, might be the best fit where that owner wants to sell to a therapist instead of a corporate buyer. So there's a lot of opportunity out there, but you have to go and find it. You have to you know, reach out to practice owners. You have to you know, get a network, contact people on LinkedIn. Uh, I listened somehow you and I got contact connected yeah. on LinkedIn and, and I, I heard your podcast with Mike and I was like, Oh, this is great. And then I reached out and we, we started talking from there. So you have to do a lot of outbound. You have to have, you know, energy, you have to, uh, you know, find opportunities. And, and once you do that, you'll find even more opportunities than you even believe were even possible. Awesome. That's great. I think I'm going to title this episode, Think Outside the Box. Um, <laughs> nice. So where can people find out more about you, about your work, connect with you? You've got the podcast, all the places. Sure. So if you're a therapist or especially a practice owner, definitely check out the Dave Kittle show. So K-I-T-T-L-E on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify. If you're looking to connect, you can just type in Dave Kittle into LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram, but uh, LinkedIn is probably the, the best like professional spot for us to connect. Um, and my practice is concierge pain relief, home physical therapy. So if you're a therapist in the New York city area, uh, Long Island, New Jersey, upstate New York, but it's specifically in New York. Uh, if you're looking to make like 80 to hundred dollars per visit, uh, as a therapist, and we potentially could hire you if you're looking for that, feel free to reach out to me, uh, Dave at concierge painrelief.com. My email address, Dave at conciergepainrelief.com. Awesome. We'll link to all that in the show notes. So thank you very much, man. Have a good one. Excellent. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dave Kittle about the specifics of scaling and growing through acquisition as an out-of-network clinic, or at least using the out-of-network clinic and platform as, as sort of the jumping point into a, a strategic acquisition uh, growth strategy. So uh, one of the things that I, I like listen back, listening back again now to the, to the conversation to make the episode is his idea and, and Dave's idea of just wanting to, to grow and not get complacent. I think a lot of times, at least I've experienced this myself and I know I've, I've 
had this conversation with many clients and stuff over the years, you reach a certain point where you know, things are humming along nicely. You've got, whether you're in private practice or you're in consulting or something like that, you've got a good number of clients or a good number of patients. The, the utilization's great. The money's coming in well. It's kind of smooth sailing, right? And you know that you could put a little bit more risk into the business and potentially grow it, or you could just kind of sit back where you're at and just kind of let it let it run as is. And there's a big temptation to do that, to just let it run. And I have this conversation all the time with team members and, and colleagues and uh, and clients even, the idea of, well, at what point when you're just sitting there allowing the business to run its course or the clinic or the healthcare organization to run its course, do you experience the negative effects of something like entropy, which is basically the idea that everything in order will spiral into disorder if not maintained and actively built or grown, right? So you've got this business, it's humming along well, you're delivering high quality care, you're delivering good clinical outcomes to your clients and your patients, your clinicians are happy, your staff is happy, they're doing great work. At what point do things just simply begin to degrade, not because there's anything wrong currently with the organization, but because without the constant uh, drive for improvement and or growth, I would argue they're, they're both interconnected and if not linked, without that drive, complacency sets in, people become not tied to, but the idea of like a, a policy taking the place of um, human, the human responsibilities, right? I, I talked about it a little bit. It's actually a chapter in the upcoming book, Better Outcomes, A Guide to Humanizing Healthcare. But the idea that we should be placing people ahead of policies. And the, the basic premise is that policies and procedures and systems, if you would, are there to serve the organization and there to serve the end user or the, the client or the patient of that organization and not the other way around. We don't exist or the, the clinic doesn't exist to serve the policy, but the policy exists to serve serve the clinic. And at what point, if there's not a constant upkeep, so to speak, or refresher on the mission, the vision, the values of the organization, of how we're planning on growing and expanding this mission and vision, at what point do we just fall into a rut of following procedures and policies simply because they're there? And then the effects of that attitude, of the following of, of procedures and policies sort of at a, as a as a value in and of themselves and what that does for the quality of care in the long term or the customer experience if, if you want to put it in those terms. So just an interesting, interesting topic. I don't necessarily think that that means or that dictates that the organization needs to grow and expand its geographical footprint just because the drive for improvement or growth is, in my view, one of those things that's more or less necessary to prevent entropy from taking hold of an organization, it doesn't necessarily mean you need to go opening up new clinics or locations and adding staff and adding people and all of that kind of stuff. It just means that you need to be mindful on that constant quality improvement. Um, so again, not necessarily needing to grow in volume or operational overhead, but grow in the sense that we're not just simply falling back into these patterns of behavior and operations because they're there, because those policies are there, right? Um, hopefully that, that makes sense a little bit. <laughs> um, well, what else do we have coming up? As always, I'm going to make my shameful plug. So the book, Better Outcomes, A Guide for Humanizing Healthcare, Super excited. I got the first uh, iteration, the first copy back that was typeset and ready to go from the publisher for review. I reviewed that last week and got that into them, got my comments and edits into them. So hopefully we're taking another step closer to that book becoming 
uh, a reality. The publisher tells me October 6th is when it's going to be available, or at least the week of October 6th is when the book will be available both in Kindle and in paperback form. Right now you can order it, you can pre-order it online at, at Amazon. You can head on over to RehabUPracticeSolutions.com, click the link for books, and there's a there's a link there to, that'll get you there um, if you want to purchase it. And if you run a healthcare organization of some kind, patient-facing, maybe it's a clinic or a small healthcare system, or you're in the healthcare space, a software developer. I've been having a lot of conversations and doing a lot of projects for, for software companies lately, and you want to develop a strategy to keep, to attract, acquire, engage, and retain more clients and patients, uh, reach out to us. You can find us at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com. Click on the What We Do link, and that'll take you to all the information you need to know there. Um, that's it. Until the next time, everyone be safe, be healthy. I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Better Outcome Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.